Matthew, the 19th chapter, starting at verse 16. Then someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving for he had many possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded. And they said, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it's impossible. But for God, all things are possible. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. In last week's edition of Christian Century, Peter Marty, that publication's editor and a fellow Lutheran, wrote about a thing that happened in the late 19th century in New York City that stunned me to learn. Marty himself learned about it from a book by a guy named Stephen Nissenbaum. The book was, is called The Battle for Christmas, which apparently tells about the history of Christmas as a holiday excess in our country and in our culture. Anyway, apparently, back in the 1800s, well-to-do New Yorkers paid admission to watch poor people eat. That's what I said. They staged enormous public dinners at the old Madison Square Garden during the Christmas season with more than 20,000 people in attendance. They called these events galas. In my mind, I think about the modern-day Met Gala, all the celebrities dressed up like they do. These galas featured galleries and box seating filled with wealthy people dressed in their finest, ready 
willing and eager to watch hungry children eat. Like some kind of sporting event. According to an 1899 New York Times article, it really wasn't that long ago, the article was titled, The Rich Saw Them Feast. According to this article, children from, quote, illimitable abodes of poverty and wretchedness stood in line to enter the arena for a meal while the wealthy, paying customers and spectators found their seats. Those wealthy, paying spectators were described as men in high hats, women in costly wraps, many who had come in carriages and were gorgeously gowned and wore many diamonds. And it gets worse. As if to keep the rich from mingling too closely with the poor, he explains, gifts for the children were dangled from ropes and lowered by pulley systems attached to the roof. I know. We are aghast, are we not? Lest we think we have evolved beyond that sort of primitive, exploitative, obtuse expression of greed, privilege, classism, and humiliation. Peter Marty recalls that hockey game halftime in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, just last December, maybe you heard about it, where a handful of public school teachers got on their hands and knees at center ice to scramble for and grab as many $1 bills as they could pile into their pockets and sweatshirts and hats and whatnot from a $5,000 pile of cash. They've been doing this stunt since at least 2018, from what I could tell, to the tune of Benny Hill's theme song. Remember that? So I'm not sure why it just made a stink in 2021. Anyway, whether we're talking about those horrifying meals at Madison Square Garden in the 19th century, or the dash for cash kind of nonsense that our public school teachers have been made to do in some places in just the last year, it all shines a bright light on our confused priorities, right? Our misguided views about charity and the power of greed's sin in our lives, which is something worth lamenting in these days, it seems to me. Greed is this sin that blinds us to what's most valuable in our lives and worthy in this world, and it's more than that. Greed makes us imagine all the things and all the stuff and all the money that we could have or that we should have or that we deserve, perhaps, to have. Greed is that sinfulness in each of us that compares ourselves with the neighbors or with our friends or family even. Greed is that broken, shallow sinfulness that keeps track of all that we do not have 
It's that sin that turns wants into needs. It's that incompleteness within us that convinces us that having more will make more of us. Either because life will be easier then, or because we will have succeeded by then, or because we'll finally have as much as fill in the blank. And I'm not just pointing fingers, believe me. I had to look in the mirror more than once as I prepared for this evening. And one thing I see there, in the mirror, I mean, more often than I'd like to admit is the way I keep track of things. How I compare with others, how I rationalize what I deserve or what I could get or what I should be able to have. More square footage, more retirement savings, more money for college, for crying out loud. <laughs> but what I try to do, even though it's harder to swallow, is admit and imagine what others might be giving up in order for me to have all of that more. which hits me hard whenever I consider things like those meals at Madison Square Garden or those teachers on their hands and knees at the hockey game or my friends in Haiti or those refugees fleeing Ukraine or those suffering mightily in other places too, like Yemen, these days. Because if we're honest with ourselves, whether it's groceries or gas, Gas. Square footage or our life savings even. If we have more of whatever it is, it means there are people out there in the world who may not have as much or even enough of what they need. Some of you have heard my spiel about Mary Poppins and stewardship before, so I'll keep it short. I'll spare you the spoonful of sugar song and dance but there is this point in the first Mary Poppins movie where Mary Poppins sings that song and shows the kids under her care how fun it can be to clean the nursery to the point that they want to keep cleaning the nursery even when the job has been finished Mary Poppins tells them simply come now Enough is as good as a feast. Which is the lesson and the challenge for me where the lament of my greed finds me. Enough is as good as a feast. Enough is as good as a feast. In other words, you can only get a room so clean all at one time just like you can only wear so many shoes at once or eat so much food or live in so many rooms or sleep in so many beds or drive so many cars or whatever. And while I'm pretty sure Jesus was not thinking about Mary Poppins, I do believe this is what he was getting at in tonight's gospel in some way. This rich young man wants to know what it takes to enter into, to find, to experience, to know the kingdom of God. And Jesus, 
isn't as nice as Mary Poppins. If you really want to know, sell your stuff. Give the money to the poor and then follow me. And he goes on, it is harder for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So before we start rationalizing about how rich we are not compared to those sitting around us maybe, or about how much less we have than those who live next door perhaps, or about how much more we give away than some friends and family we know, those are the things that I do. Let's notice that even more clearly in Luke's version of this story, Jesus says to sell all your possessions, all of them. Not 10%, not half, not however much you can get by with and still live comfortably, all of them. This is where every Christian I know forgets about their need to take the Bible so literally all of a sudden. Me included. Now, I happen to believe that grace changes hearts and lives more meaningfully than judgment and shame ever could, which is why I want us to see that Jesus gives us his own holy shot of sugar to help this medicine go down. Jesus says that for us mortals, it is indeed impossible. This kind of generosity, this kind of grace, this kind of abundant giving, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. The power of God's resurrection in Jesus is our spoonful of sugar then. The joy of God's forgiveness in spite of ourselves is our encouragement in this. The promise of God's unconditional love is all we need to make sharing ourselves and our stuff and wanting and needing less of it part of our way of life, our way of following Jesus in this world. So in these days, as we recall the sacrifice of God and Jesus for the sake of all creation, as we lament our greed for such small things in the face of that cosmic kind of sacrifice and abundant love, let's recognize when enough really is enough for us. When enough really could feel like a feast if we would let it. Let's lament and be liberated from our greed. Let's lament for and with those who have less. And let's make do with less ourselves so that they might have enough for a change. Let's lament and learn to give freely with gratitude and joy even, because Jesus promises that when we do, that's when we'll know 
that's when we'll enter into, that's when we will experience the very kingdom of God right where we live, here and now, on this side of heaven. Amen.